prayer. Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day that you will return for your people. Uh, today we live and enjoy a foretaste of that hope. We enjoy the work that you are continuing in our hearts, even today, as you conform us to the image of, of yourself. Father, we thank you that you have, that you have redeemed us. That you've called us to be your home, our, your own. That you are making us uh, into those who are holy. We thank you for the special creation that you are doing in each one of us. Father, on this Valentine's Day, we are reminded of your great love for us. We're reminded of the love that you have called us to have for you. And uh, as we go into your word today, it's my prayer that, that you would. Help each one of us have a better vision of what that love should look like in our own lives. Please teach us. Please mold us. Please conform us to the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Might Your Spirit fill us as we hear Your Word, as we have hearts that are softened, and as we put these things into practice today. It's in Jesus' precious name we ask this. Amen. Well, good morning. Wonderful to see you here on this beautiful day as we talk about flowers and, and laying down in the grass on a Valentine's Day. I'm not sure what country that's in, but Burr, it's cold out, isn't it? So wonderful that you're here. Thank you for coming and joining us for this time of worship together. You know, in our, our last passage in which we examined Jesus' letter to the church of Ephesus, uh, Jesus had a lot of good things to say about this, this faithful church. But there was one thing that he had against the church of Ephesus. He said that they had lost their first love. The love that they had for Jesus at the beginning of their relationship with him had, had faded away and, and, and it didn't look the same after years of walking with him and, and being his bride. Like a spouse whose love has grown cold over many years of familiarity, the Ephesians had become used to Jesus. You ever feel like that in your walk with him? That, that you've just kind of become used to Him? That it's just the same thing every day. I've walked with Jesus for several years and we become very familiar with our Savior. We run in danger of our love growing cold. And so Jesus calls them out. He calls the Ephesians out as faithful as they are as a church. He says, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. And He challenged them to do three things. He said, I want you to rekindle something that's faded away. And so he calls them to remember what that relationship looked like at the beginning. He calls them to repent. There's a change of their mind. And he calls them to repeat the first deeds. Well, today we turn to Jesus' second letter in Revelation chapter 2. And we find a church whose love for Jesus was, was not cold. A love, their love for Jesus that was so ardent that it was sacrificial. Well, today's Valentine's Day. And so let me begin by telling you a, a story. It's a love story. Valentine's Day is a holiday that we associate with declarations of love. As commercialized as it's become, February 14th has actually been set aside as a day for writing poetry and sending notes to your loved ones. And we've been doing that for at least 500 years. But the history of the day goes back a lot further than that. And it's the subject of a few legends that may or may not be true. Uh, whatever the legends are, the story does seem to find its beginning with a, a bishop, a, a pastor who lived in Italy. And he died and lived in, in the 3rd century A.D. Bishop Valentine 
pastored a congregation in Italy during the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius uh, Gothicus. And as legend goes, the emperor had forbidden weddings. He was trying to raise an army, and some of the young men were getting distracted, and they were going off and getting married, and there was a special exemption for those that were married. And so the emperor forbid all weddings. Well, Valentine decided that that wasn't going to stop him, and so he continued to marry those that, that wanted to get married. And he continued to wed the young couples anyway. And, and he also continued to preach the Gospel in the city. Valentine was arrested. He was turned over to a judge named Asterius. And then while under house arrest, Asterius made the mistake of allowing the preacher to talk with others. And so Valentine continued to preach the Gospel of Christ's death on the cross and to share with anyone who came across his path about the love of Jesus Christ and what He had done on our behalf. And so Valentine continued to preach the Gospel, and eventually Asterius himself became a follower of Jesus Christ. When he did so, he was baptized, and apparently he released all the Christians who were under his charge. And then he, along with his entire household, about 41 people were, were baptized. Valentine was again arrested soon after for sharing the Gospel, and he eventually came before Claudius Caesar himself. And when he spoke with Claudius, Claudius took a liking to Valentine, and, and, he, and he spoke with him and had conversations with him, and he really liked the personality of this pastor. Until Valentine decided to share the Gospel with Claudius himself. And so, he told him about his need for Jesus Christ and encouraged the emperor to embrace Jesus. And so Claudius put Valentine's love for Jesus to the ultimate test. He said, renounce Jesus Christ or you'll be beaten with clubs and beheaded. Well, Valentine's love for his Savior was so steadfast and he refused. And so on February the 14th, 269 A.D., Valentine was put to death. And so this love story is not a tale of young courtship, but of a deep and devoted love for one's Savior. The kind of love that would take one's faith to the very end is not just limited just to a few pastors who lived thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. We know that it continues on today. And that love story is a relationship with many believers around the world in which they embrace Jesus Christ. And their love has not grown cold. And whether it's on Valentine's Day or any day of the year, they're willing to give their lives on behalf of their Savior who loved them so much that He gave His life for them. On average, 30 Christians are put to the same test around the world every single day. And they pay that price out of their love for Jesus in the same way that Valentine did. It's estimated that over that between 7,000 and 10,000 Christians give their lives every single year simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ and because those around them are refused to, you've refused to tolerate that relationship. And I'm afraid that in our culture, we've kind of desensitized ourselves, haven't we? We're, we're so distant from some of this that that sometimes it just doesn't seem real. In the safety of our quiet communities and our secure homes, we oftentimes forget that these violent deaths of thousands are taking place around the world every single day. In Myanmar, Christians are facing new persecution just this last two weeks since, since the military took over. In China, Christians are still facing years of imprisonment for choosing to worship their Savior. We know that two-thirds of the world Two-thirds of the world's Christian population live in dangerous neighborhoods, are poor, belong to various minority groups, and are, and are often at risk. 
In North Korea alone, Kim Jong-un has been responsible for the imprisonment and torture of over 30,000 of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's just in the last decade. But as I search my heart, I have to admit that most days, I don't give a second thought to these. Somehow it just seems distant, doesn't it? It's on the other side of the world, and while our religious freedom in the United States of America is diminishing each year, our suffering for Christ rarely looks like what other Christians face around the world. However, the suffering is real, and it happens every day, and it's happening right now somewhere in the world to those who love Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our passage in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8 and look through verse 11. And here we find Jesus' letter, his love letter, to the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was a, a rich city. It was second only to Ephesus and Pergamum, but it was also a city that was extremely devout in its worship. But the worship that took place in Smyrna was specifically geared towards worshiping the emperor. If you lived in Smyrna, it was your obligation to come forward as a businessman, as, an, as a citizen of the city, to bring incense and to burn it in your worship of the king of Caesar. Now, Smyrna had close ties to Rome and it had temples that had been dedicated that were specifically there for burning incense to emperor domination. And for those who made their sacrifice and declared Caesar is Lord, they were issued a certificate. They got a piece of paper. And they would carry that certificate around like they would a driver's license. Well, they didn't carry driver's licenses around, but they carried their certificate around like you would carry a driver's license. They carried that piece of paper around wherever they went because that was their license to buy. That was their license to sell. That was their license to do business. That was their license that when they came to their employer, they would say, see, I burned incense to Caesar. And if they didn't have that license, if they didn't have that certificate, they lost those privileges. They couldn't work. They couldn't buy a home. They had to turn to the black market. Sometimes just buying food to put on the table would require them to go and to conduct illegal transactions. For those who were discovered without a certificate, you risked discovery, you risked death. Uh, There's a very real danger for Christians who lived and worshipped there because of their faith. And they probably lost opportunities to, to do business. They lost opportunities to live in their own homes. They lost opportunities to shop in the marketplace. You know, we know that Smyrna comes from the Greek word that means myrrh. And it's an appropriate name for a city that held so much trouble for those who worshipped Jesus Christ there. But in, in this letter, Jesus provides the church with reassurance to, claim, excuse me, to calm the distress of, of the suffering that in turn, it should also motivate us as believers in the 21st century to similar faithfulness. And so before we continue, I, I'm going to encourage you to read the text with me. and We're going to look at verses 8-11. through 11. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. Let's look at these brief few verses revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 the apostle john receiving the revelation of jesus christ wrote these words and to the angel of the church in smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life i know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich Know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we, when we looked at the letter to the church of Ephesus, we saw that these seven letters follow a, a certain form. Most letters that we get in the mail and that we send, they have one format or another. Uh, some letters are formal, some are friendly, some contain certain legal jargon that's important for business transactions, but all letters follow a general format, and Jesus' letter to these seven churches is, is no different. Each of these letters that Jesus writes to these seven churches has similar language, and they each begin with a statement to the, the messenger of the church of, and the messenger was probably the, the pastor of that church that represented that church and carried that message to his congregation. And then the name he named each city. In this case, it's Smyrna. Following this open statement, there comes a decree, the words of, and Jesus, in a very special way, describes himself to that congregation. He considers who Ephesus is, and he, he describes himself as they needed to understand who he was. He, he writes a letter to Smyrna, and he says, I want you to understand who I am and how that relates to your present problems, sins, blessings, and, and, and the issues that you, that you live out. And so, Jesus describes Himself in a manner that's pertinent to each one of those churches. And in particular, it relates to their situation. And so to this church, Jesus says to them, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. In chapter 1, Jesus had called Himself the Alpha and the Omega. And twice He called Himself the first and the last. And then once He notes that He was dead and is alive forevermore. But for the Christians in Smyrna, uh, the, the city that they lived, it was a place of, of death for them. It was a place of death. The church was small. The church was poor. It was persecuted. And in those next several years, several people from that church were going to be martyred for their faith. As small as the church was, it was probably smaller, much smaller than, than ours. Maybe it was just a home church that had a, a dozen or a couple dozen people. And Jesus warned them and told them, he says, many of you are going to die for your faith, for your love for me. And they did over those next several years, over those next decades. And so the fact that Jesus is not only the first, but He's also the last, would have been great comfort to, to the, the church of Smyrna. The fact that He's alive forevermore would also have been an incredible encouragement for those in Smyrna. The fact that Jesus has already conquered death would help those in Smyrna to face the trials that they were about about to face. The fact that Jesus existed from all of eternity and that He rose from the dead would have reassured the saints in Smyrna in their distress and in their suffering. In the United States, we rarely see this kind of suffering, don't we? Do we? We, we just don't. We, we don't normally face... I mean, is anybody here, do you guys know of somebody sitting in your row that, that has died this last, this last year? Not somebody that's actually sitting here today. Do you know somebody that, that normally sat in your row that's gone today, that they died because they, they preached Jesus Christ? It's just not something we see every day, is it? But I personally believe that, that we are approaching a day when Christians in our communities are going to face 
more and more opposition. We're seeing that opposition growing in different places, around our country even. In my 40 years as a Christian, I've already witnessed a growing intolerance to Christianity. Things that I could have said 40 years ago in, in public are, are no longer accepted today as, as polite conversation. There were conversations that I could have with my friends in high school that, that just aren't allowed in, in our high schools today. Here in Iowa, and I lived in Colorado. Commonplace conversations about one's faith. It's no longer considered polite conversation. Every year I believe that we're seeing a shift that's further in the direction where it's okay to go to church. It's okay if you follow your God. It's okay if you believe in Jesus as crazy as you are for doing so. We just don't get that weird stuff that you're into. But you keep that to yourself and, and as long as you keep that sort of thing to yourself, we're okay with it. But, but don't mention it to us. And more and more, we're seeing that in, in our culture. And I think there's a time that's coming in our generation and in the generation of our children where we're going to have to make some hard decisions. Uh, many decisions like the church of Smyrna. Some of us here may face imprisonment. I, I imagine there are people in this room that will lose your jobs in, a, in the span of our lifetime. There are people in this room that may even give their own lives because you really love Jesus. You're absolutely in love with Him. And I don't think it's that far off. I described what things look like today in our culture and, and how it's shifted. I, I was talking to some parents about 20 years ago, and one of the parents said, you're crazy. That's never going to happen in the United States. But the things that we've seen over the last 20 years even, have, have, it, it, it's happening. It continues to happen. And, and the, the tolerance that our, our, our culture embraces when it comes to Jesus Christ, we're not going to tolerate that. We're going to see that more and more. How much do you love Jesus? Has your love grown cold like the church of Ephesus? Or are we like the church of Smyrna that embrace Jesus Christ and we are willing to, to give our lives for Him? To give everything for Him? No matter what the cost. I think we do well to remember what Jesus said about Himself. The way that Jesus describes Himself to the church of Smyrna is important for you and me. He isn't just the first. He isn't just the one that started your faith and, and got things going. He's not just the one who created you. He's the one who is the last. He will finish it. He isn't just the one who died for us. We love that. That's wonderful news. That, that in my sin, I wasn't, I wasn't just left there to die and, and to grovel in my sin. And, have, and I, in myself, I have absolutely no ability to save myself. Thank God that Jesus came and He died for me. But thank the Lord that that's not where that stopped either. You see, Jesus isn't the one who just died. He's the one who came to life. The reality that Jesus has conquered sin and death, it should bring great encouragement to us as it becomes more and more costly to love Jesus. The next section of his letter contains a statement that, that uh, in, in all the other letters, it, it, he usually says, I know your works. He says, I see you. I, I see what you're, what you're doing. And he says, I know your works. But for the church of Smyrna, Jesus changes that word a little bit. He changes the language. And rather than say, I know your works, he says, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation. 
It's the same word that Jesus used of that great time of incredible distress that the rest of the book of Revelation is going to describe, describe about the distress that comes upon the world. Seven-year tribulation which God pours out His wrath upon a rebellious world. And that same tribulation is used to describe that pressing that, that the world is going to encounter when God finally pours His wrath out on, on, the, on the, 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 those who have rejected Him for thousands of years. That same word for tribulation is the same word that Jesus uses regarding the church of Smyrna. He says, I know you. I see you. I know what you're going through. And the pressing, the tribulation that you are suffering, I see it. I know it. Again, the Christians in Smyrna, they suffered a great deal. Not only that, not only were they suffering, but they were also very poor. Uh, they were a very poor church in a very rich city. Imagine the wealth of some of our, our richest cities in the United States and, and living as, as the most poor in abject poverty in those cities. And probably, they weren't poor because they were lazy. They weren't poor because that's just what they had inherited. These were people who were poor because they had lost everything. They lived in a rich city where many of them probably had thriving businesses. And they lost it all. And in their love for Jesus Christ, they gave all of it up. They gave their houses, their luxurious dinners and their, their parties. They gave it all up because of their love for Jesus Christ. They were probably poor because of everything was taken away from them in the persecution that they had been enduring and they continued to endure because they refused to worship Caesar. They refused to say, Caesar is Lord, and to take that little certificate that would have done everything for them. To have that piece of paper would have made them rise back and put in society. But because they loved Jesus Christ more than that, they said, I don't, I don't need this. He's all I need. And so they endured great poverty. Christians in Smyrna lost their right to employment. They lost the right to buy and sell. But Jesus says that He knows these things. He knows their suffering, their tribulation. He knew their works even as He knew our, knows ours. And so what was His evaluation? What does He say in the midst of this? When He says, I know you, I know what you're going through, what's His statement to them? Not what you'd expect. You're rich! You are rich. He doesn't look at, at wealth and physical prosperity. He values what's on the inside and the church as he saw it. He said, you are indeed rich in the things that truly matter. And so Jesus reassures these saints that He knows their distress. He knows their poverty. But He also says that He knows the slander of the Jews which were a part of the persecution that these particular Christians had faced. Now, there's an interesting trend in, in early church history. At, at, during the book of Acts, um, there was persecution that took place, but, but a lot of the Christians avoided certain kinds of persecution because they were just kind of accepted along with the Jews. Most of the Roman Empire, they saw the, the Christian church and said, well, these are followers of Jesus Christ, and he was a Jew, claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so there were many communities throughout the Roman Empire that were just associated with the Jewish population. And, and there were certain requirements of all the Roman citizens. But if you were part of that Jewish community, guess what? You had an exemption. 
We know we've had problems with the Jews for hundreds of years, and so we're going to give them a special exemption in which they, they don't have to burn incense to Caesar. They don't have to do this and that because, well, they worship one God and they're a little different from the rest of us. And so the Christians were able to kind of be the caboose on that. They, they escaped a lot of the persecution in those early years because they were just associated with the Jewish population. They had an exclusion. However, in Smyrna, something happened. We don't know all the details of it, but in Smyrna, it seems that, that the, the Jewish synagogue, they were particularly wicked, and, and, and they also persecuted the Christians. Spiritually, they were lost, and Jesus notes them for this particular synagogue, what it really was. He says this synagogue was satanic. It, and it seems that this group of Jews possibly took the opportunity to point out these Christians in Smyrna. These, this particular group of, of Jewish people said, you know, look, you, you all give us this exemption from, from burning incense to Caesar, but, but these people here, they're not us. They're not part of our synagogue. They're not part of the Jewish people. And so they made sure that the Christians faced consequences for their failure to bow down to domination even though they didn't have to. And in essence, they came along and they made a special effort to say, nope, they're not part of us. They don't get to be protected like we do. They worship a different God than we do in Jerusalem. Have you ever faced opposition from those around you because of your faith? Have you ever faced opposition because of your faith and that opposition came particularly at the hands of of an individual or a group of people that made it their goal in life to make your life miserable because of your faith? Perhaps it cost you higher standing at your workplace. Maybe at your school. Perhaps they, they undermined your friendship with others. In the midst of that kind of suffering, and I I know that some of you have faced those things and faced some of those, uh, maybe not the kind of persecution that Smyrna faced and the kind of persecution that we're seeing around the world, but you've you've faced things where you've been challenged and it's cost you. I find it reassuring that in the middle of suffering, whether it's great or small, we have a Master who knows our circumstances. He knows what you're going through. No matter, no matter what it looks like. But then Jesus gives them further instruction. He says, you're rich. But He also tells them, do not fear. He doesn't promise deliverance. You know, what would we think He'd say after those words? Do not fear. I'm coming to your rescue. This suffering is just about ready to end. It's, it's, it's almost over. I, I'm, I'm coming. Don't fear. It, it's, it's, it's almost there. Is that what He says? No. He doesn't promise deliverance from suffering or even from death, but only says, He only says, do not fear. Also, we're told by Christ from His earthly ministry that, that we will suffer. Listen to some of the words that Jesus spoke to His disciples. Uh, from Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. This is the promise that Jesus has for you. This is really exciting stuff, folks. I, I want you to listen to what Jesus says to you because this is a promise for you as you live the Christian life today. Are you ready? Do you believe Jesus? When he says something, do you, do you hold it to be true? Do you hold it to be important? Do you really think he's telling the truth? Well, let's listen to his promise for us. And you'll be hated. Oh, wow. Thanks, Jesus. You'll be hated 
by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. How about John 16.33? These things I have spoken to you, that in Me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. There's that same word again. Be of good cheer. Oh, wow. I'm going to suffer. Be happy. Why? I have overcome the world. Jesus makes us promises. Sometimes promises that aren't exactly what we would hope for in the world that we live in. didn't offer us prosperity. He didn't promise us and say, everything's going to be great. I'm going to take all your suffering away. I'm going to solve all of your problems in this world. He says, no, in this world, you're going to be hated by others for My name's sake. But that's okay. You endure it and you keep on pressing through because they may kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. And oh, your reward in heaven is great. You see, Jesus warned the church that they would face a time of tribulation. And He says specifically to the church of Smyrna, He says, you're going to face a time of tribulation that's going to last ten days. Now, there's a couple different approaches. We don't know exactly what Jesus meant by that. Some have proposed that this is a symbolic expression of a, of a very difficult time, but a time that was going to be limited. Others have suggested that there was probably an unknown literal period where they went through ten days of, of hell on earth, that they faced great tribulation and Jesus was preparing them for it, that this, this ten days was coming and it's going to be okay because it's only going to last ten days. Whether, whatever the... Um, Whatever the interpretation of that, the church of Smyrna indeed faced an intense time of trial and tribulation. And many were imprisoned. Harper's Bible Commentary notes that there were three reasons for imprisonment in those days. There were three reasons that you'd be thrown into prison. One was, was to put you there to compel obedience to, to a king or magistrate's order. The second reason that you'd be imprisoned uh, was to contain you until the time of your trial. But the third reason for imprisonment, and this is probably what this people of Smyrna would, was, were facing, was you were put in prison to hold you there until it was time for your execution. Many in Smyrna were killed for their faith. But Jesus promised the church of Smyrna that their suffering had only begun. But He also promised them that if they were faithful to death, He would give them the crown of life doesn't mean that you have to, to be a martyr in order to receive the crown of life. It, it, what it means is, is you stand firm. Because even if you pay the ultimate price and you give your life out of your love for Me, there is promise of eternity for you. They can't take that away. And he also promised that if they were faithful to death, He would give them the crown of life. And the promise of, the, of life in light of their persecution would be a great encouragement. There's another section that each of the letters contains. And that, and that section is, is a, um, a section which Jesus says, I, 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 I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know all these things. I'm really proud of you. You stick with it and you keep on going. And, and then He transitions and says, but I have this against you. I, I, we saw with the Ephesians that the, uh, the rebuke was you've lost your first love. But Smyrna was one of only the two of the seven churches that didn't have this rebuke. Jesus doesn't say, I've got this against you though. 
Instead, Jesus continues to encourage them in this section for their faith and because of their suffering. And then Jesus offers a statement that He gives in each letter. All right, He says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I was going I, I to call some of our kids to, um, to ask them a question last week, but they were all in children's church. So, so kids, listen up. All right, How many of you guys have ears? Do you have ears? All right, Look around you. All right, adults look around you too. Do you see anybody without ears? All right. So some of us are hard of hearing. Some of our husbands, our wives think, are particularly hard of hearing. But, but we all have ears, don't we? Can you guys hear with those ears? All right. And so Jesus says something here. Jesus says to, to everybody, He says, if you have ears to hear, and, and, and we just established that every single person here has ears, right? And we all can hear with those ears. And so Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then I want you to listen what I say to the church of Smyrna. And so if you have the ability to listen, I want you to pay attention, Jesus says. I believe that this is an invitation for all of us to listen in. Normally it's not polite to read other people's mail, is it? Uh, if, if you get mail and it has somebody else's name on it and you open it and go, wait, I, I'm not Sally, uh, what do you do? You read the rest of the letter? That's not, that's not right. You put it back in the envelope. That's for somebody else. Uh, I got a certified, certified letter. Uh, speaking of which, Tammy Holmes. I uh, got a certified letter upstairs. Uh, you in here still? She stepped in back. Jason, your wife has a letter. Uh, came in the mail yesterday. I opened it. It was, it was direct, addressed to our church. And I saw Tammy Holmes at the top. What do I do? Do I read the rest of it? No, it, it's up in her box. I'm not, I'm not going to read it. It's not polite. But Jesus changes that. Jesus says, hey, if you have ears to hear, I want you to read this letter. I want you to pay attention to what I have here. He wants you to evaluate your life and ask yourself if your love for Jesus looks more like the cold familiarity of the church of Ephesus or the sacrificial love of the church of Smyrna. And then the final section of each letter, Jesus makes a promise to the one who conquers. And as we've discussed the one who conquers, is not, it's, not a, it's not a promise only if you do this for Jesus. Only if you continue to do this. The promise uh, to the conqueror is a promise to all believers. Every Christian is one who conquers because Jesus conquered sin and death for us. And on the other side of eternity, sin will be finally overcome in totality. And so though the church of Smyrna may be persecuted and perhaps even killed, they had the promise as overcomers that they would not suffer from the second death, the lake of fire. You and I have the promise that the second death in which the soul is destroyed as well as the body, that that's not for you. And that's not a promise to you only if you do a certain amount of things as a Christian. Only if you are good enough. It's a promise to you because you are a believer in Jesus Christ and He is the conqueror. And He has made you a conqueror in Him. And because you have this promise, it should motivate you to godly living so that you would live a life that would honor Him and would reflect your great, passionate love for your Savior. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this promise is for you. The promise of what rewards are yet to come again should reassure us and reassure those in distress and reassure those in suffering. But they're promises that should motivate you towards faithfulness, even in our own time. One of my favorite... 
Christians from the early church period uh, was a man named Polycarp. How many of you have heard of Polycarp before? Anybody? Got a few? A handful of you? More than a handful. Good. A dozen or two of you. Polycarp. Um, he was a pastor uh, in a, a town called Smyrna. Uh, we're told from church history that, that he was a disciple of John. And so when he was a young man, uh, he was discipled personally by the Apostle John. The, the one who walked with Jesus, that was loved by Jesus, that, that penned the book of Revelation for us. And John pastored in that area, probably from Ephesus, and impacted the churches around there. And Polycarp was sent to Smyrna, where he was their pastor. And this was taking place about 50 to 60 years after the book of Revelation was written. And so Polycarp was probably a young man in his 20s or 30s when this book that we're reading today and these letters were written. He probably got this, this passage that this letter from Jesus to the church of Smyrna and, and, and read it. He may have been from Ephesus or one of the other cities, but he also had ears to hear and he listened. And then eventually he was sent to Smyrna to be their pastor. And I'm reading to you today from uh, Dates with Destiny, great book about um, church history, and, and many of the people have lived through it. But I read to you the account of, of the martyrdom of Polycarp. The heat was on. The Smyrna police hunted for Polycarp. The revered bishop of that city, already they had put other Christians to death in the arena, and now a mob cried for their leader. Polycarp had left the city and was hiding out at a farm of some friends. And as the soldiers moved in, he fled to another farm. And though the aged churchman felt no fear of death and had wanted to stay in the city, his friends had urged him to hide, perhaps fearing that his death would demoralize the church. If so, they were quite wrong. When the police reached the first farm, they tortured a slave boy to learn Polycarp's whereabouts, and then they rushed fully armed to apprehend the bishop. Though Polycarp had time to escape, he refused. God's will be done, he resolved. Instead, he welcomed his captors as guests. He offered them food, and he asked for one hour alone to pray. He took two. Some of the captors seemed sorry to be arresting such a nice old man, and so on the way back to Smyrna, the police chief tried to reason with Polycarp. What, what harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and offering incense? Polycarp announced calmly that he would not do it. The Roman authorities had developed the idea that the spirit or the genius of the emperor Caesar was divine. And so most Romans, with the pantheon of gods, had no problem doing homage to the emperor too. They saw it as a, a, a matter of national loyalty. But Christians knew that this was idolatry. Because the Christians refused to worship the emperor or the other gods of Rome and worshiped Christ quietly and secretly in their homes, most people thought that they had no faith. And so they would cry out, away with the atheists, those Christians that don't believe in any god, they, they thought. Smyrna um, would hunt down the Christians because of this. Because they only knew that Christians didn't participate in the many pagan festivals or perform the usual sacrifices, the crowd attacked this unpatriotic, impious group. So Polycarp entered an arena filled with an angry mob. The Roman proconsul seemed to respect the bishop's old age. Pilate-like, he wanted to avoid an ugly scene, if possible. If only Polycarp would just perform the sacrifice, everyone would, they could go home. Have respect for your age, old man, the proconsul pleaded. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Change your mind. Say, away with atheists. 
The proconsul obviously intended for Polycarp to save his own life by disassociating himself from those atheistic Christians. But Polycarp just gazed up at the jeering crowd and he gestured toward them and said, Away with atheists! The proconsul tried again. Take the oath and I shall release you. Curse Christ! The bishop stood firm. Eighty-six years have I served Him and He never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my King who has saved me? At one point, Polycarp chided his inquisitor, if you pretend that you do not know who I am, then listen plainly. I am a Christian. If you want to learn the teaching of Christianity, then set a day and a hearing. The proconsul threatened to throw him to the wild beasts. He says, call them, Polycarp said. If this was a change from the bad to the good, I'd consider it, but not a change from the better to the worse. Threatened with fire. Polycarp countered, your fire burns for an hour and it goes out. But the fire of the coming judgment is eternal. Finally, it was announced that Polycarp would not recant. The people of Smyrna cried, this is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of our gods who teaches many not to sacrifice or to worship. The proconsul ordered the bishop to be burned alive. And so he was tied to the stake and the fire was set. On February 23rd of each year, his death was commemorated by the church. Polycarp's birthday into heavenly realms. Over the next century and a half, as hundreds of other martyrs faithfully went to their deaths, Many were buoyed up by the account of the faithful witness of the bishop of Smyrna. Polycarp was a man who heard the instructions that Jesus gave to the church of Smyrna and he took it to heart. He loved Jesus. And he stayed faithful to death. Many of you may be like myself and the suffering that many Christians experience around the world just seems so far removed the death and the destruction of Christians around the world, it sometimes just doesn't seem real. For us, we feel persecuted if our peers scoff at us. We feel persecuted if somebody puts a a frowny face on our Facebook post. Not to diminish the hurt that these things cause in our lives or or to say that these are are not a form of tribulation, but but I don't think that we've remotely experienced that kind of suffering that the Christians of Smyrna faced. Or the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters in the Muslim world are facing today. Or in North Korea. Other places around the world. In the Middle East, if you become a Christian, to, to, to be baptized in the Middle East is typically known as a death sentence. If, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm being baptized because I'm a follower of Him, it, typically your, your, lifespan, your expected lifespan is five years. On average. That's the expectation. I was encouraged by a pastor who lives in Iraq who offered these words of comfort and exhortation recently. This is what he said. He said, each one of us has a role to ask God and we ask in the, as we ask in the Lord's Prayer, let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to encourage our dear brothers and sisters around the world to continue praying for our country. In spite of all the demographic changes, the destruction, the war, and whatever is happening, God has the final word. Do you believe that? So what can we do? 
Well, first I would encourage you that as these years and decades unfold in your lifetime and the lifetime of your children, continue to remain steadfast. No matter what is asked of you, what sacrifices entail, continue to be faithful. Continue to love your Lord Jesus Christ and remember His comfort to you. Remember that He's not just the first. He's the last. Remember that He's not just the one who died. He's the one that rose again and promised to come back and give us new bodies as we are resurrected and taken to be with Him. Remember that they can take the body, but they can't take the soul. Second, I would encourage you, and here's your assignment for this week, make yourself aware. Just make yourself aware. Find out what's happening around the world and alert yourself as to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering in different parts of the world. If you go to persecution.com, there's a website for you, persecution.com. You'll find the homepage of Voice of the Martyrs, which our church has been involved with on many occasions. And uh, you'll find some links there that will explain what's happening in many churches around the world today. And so your assignment is to do this. If you have access to the web and you have ears to hear and eyes to read, then just go to their website and read about two countries where Christians are facing persecution right now. Just educate yourself regarding particular situations happening in two countries. They have a page for prayer requests. If you go there, you'll find several examples. And then the second part of your assignment is to do this. Just this week, and continue this practice on, but, but in this week in particular, I want to encourage you, after having looked up those two churches, those two countries, spend some time in prayer. Don't just educate yourself, but pray for our fellow saints that are around the world. Pray for churches like Smyrna, where they're facing these dangers today. In your quiet times, your devotions during this week, during your Bible study, Pray for those believers in those two countries in particular. And while you're online, go to their prayer link and pray for at least two individuals this week that are mentioned there. You'll also find that um, you know, on our prayer request page, I, don't, don't just take your bulletins and go, okay, great, I saw the order of service and that's all I needed. But you know, keep these with you. There, there's a lot of prayer requests. We're, we're commanded to pray for our leaders. We're commanded to pray for one another. We're, we're commanded to pray for, for other churches. We're commanded to pray for those that are suffering. And we have those requests here on the back. We change that each week. But this week, there's a, a request for um, people of Myanmar uh, in, out in the east. There was a, a military coup that occurred just two weeks ago, February 1st. And it changed everything. For five years, they've had some relative freedom that they hadn't experienced for five decades. But after five years, they just lost those freedoms again. And they're really concerned. And the church is facing a situation like the church of Smyrna did. And so be praying for those people. Take comfort. When we, when we hear of suffering and tribulation and we're promised that people are going to hate us, when you as a Christian are promised that, that you're going to be persecuted, Paul told Timothy, he said, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Don't, don't hear those promises and go, wow, this Christian life is so discouraging. Take, take comfort in knowing the incredible promises that God has given to us. And might your love for our Savior remain steadfast no matter what comes your way. Jesus, we come before You. And this morning, we express our love to You.
As we reflect on Your Word and on, on the saints who, who have suffered over the centuries, saints who have been persecuted, and people who are being persecuted today, I know for many of us, our, our love has grown cold like the church of Ephesus. For many of us, we're, we're slow to sacrifice our TV privileges. We're slow to sacrifice our entertainments that we enjoy during the week because we love it. And you ask us to read your Word and we're going, I don't have time for that. For many of us, our love has grown cold. We don't desire to spend time with you anymore. I pray that that would change. I pray this Valentine's Day, as we consider our, our love for our loved ones, particularly our spouses, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, I pray that we would also consider our love for You. And I pray that we would look and ask, is my love cold or is my love ardent and sacrificial? And might we walk in a manner that is appropriate to that? Lord Jesus, we love You. We confess where our love falls short. And we ask You to help us to do the first works. We ask You to help us to take great comfort in Your character. We ask You to help us to walk in a manner worthy of the One who died on our behalf for His glory and His namesake. Please be with us as we go out from here. Pray that You would teach us as we go to Sunday school hour and that we would enjoy the fellowship that we have with one another during fellowship. But might we walk with You this week. And might that love for Jesus Christ shine brightly for the whole world to see. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?